from recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. I'm your host, Steve Urban, and here is your RiderFlex podcast episode of the day. My friend David Norman back on the RiderFlex podcast for the second time. How's it going, David? It's going really good, Steve. I hope you're doing well too and staying safe. You know, I was looking uh, at the date of the first uh, first time we talked, right? Your, your first uh, visit to the RiderFlex podcast. Did you know that the launch date was March 4th of 2020? <laughs> uh, well, well, right. well, who knew what was going to all happen ahead of us, really? Right? I was thinking that. I'm like, hey, did we even talk about that? I don't even think we even talked about it because, you know, it was, that was like two weeks before the shit hit the fan, basically, or something like that. Basically, uh, I think that uh, there were some inklings that were out there, but we didn't really know what the impact any businesses were really going to be. And I think that there was a lot of faith that we were, you know, going to be out ahead of it. Right. For the listeners, by the way, if you're listening to this like five years from now, just so you know, we're recording this episode on January 12th, 2021. But David was on the show like early March of 2020, right before COVID. Uh, and who knew, right, what was going to happen? And then I thought about you, I've thought about you several times because, you know, the restaurant industry and bar industry and all of that, I mean, has really been affected probably more than any other you know, industry on the planet right now. Yeah, I mean, I know, there's, I know there's lots of people that have been affected, but if you had to like rank them, I think restaurants and bars are way up there. Uh, and so I thought about you and your company and your business, and uh, I was wondering, like, wow, I wonder how they pivoted. I wonder what they've done. How's this affected him? And so I wanted to reach out and and uh, have a chat. Uh, but before we get into that, before we get into arrived, can you just give the the listener just a quick reminder? David Norman, just give us the quick three, four minute overview uh, of uh, who he is, where he went to school, and how you got to Arrive. Oh, well, so uh, Arrive was a, a, a lifelong, I guess, uh, point at this, uh, in regards to building technology for service, hospitality, and payments. Uh, I started at uh, a bank, Wells Fargo, uh, and have always been intrigued by how commerce works in, in between people. Uh, that led me to Google, where uh, I was on the payments team and uh, started the, uh, the Google payments team out of Boulder, uh, where we focused on, on heavily on uh, the new gift cards that were coming out for Play and for Google Wallet and all, the first iteration of that anyways. And so uh, it continues down that path. It's, it's, some people think it's crazy to kind of focus on FinTech uh, the way that I kind of have, but uh, the part about interpersonal and business rela uh, related commerce has always been fascinating. And I think that there's an awful lot of uh, huge areas for us to be able to explore, to be able to extend and automate and facilitate an awful lot of this as well. Um, everything that has, has now happened in regards to arrived is really where that nexus comes of the intersection of payments and hospitality and service and how you augment, not replace, but augment staff. So tell the listeners, you know, from a layman's terms, how you use it. So if I go to a, a bar or a craft brewery, um, is it, it's, it's an app that I download. Talk to us about how you use it as, as a consumer. Well, that was the interesting portion before COVID uh, because primarily we were uh, the taproom point of sale. 
but we had always had designs on being able to build a consumer app and to create a true omni-channel presence of being able to do online ordering and digital ordering. Uh, lo and behold, by the end of March, after <laughs> we had had the podcast, uh, we had to pivot pretty fast to uh, release our app, which was only supposed to be an alpha to everyone so that you could download the app and pay in person, start a tab, really create a contactless type of environment uh, for interaction on top of the fact of being able to launch an online digital store to allow uh, our clients to continue to, to survive during what was very uncertain times. Right, I mean, so, okay. So back before COVID, it was being used by the establishment and the wait staff and everything as their mobile POS. And it was also being used by the consumer, like the consumer used it to order. And then that tied into the waitstaff's POS system, right? It That's the way it was. Before, not so much before uh, the end of March. Uh, in, before the end of March, it was primarily a mobile-based system uh, based on Android uh, that you could do ordering table side um, and interact with the kitchen and with your, uh, with your bar and your receipt printers and so on to really create this kind of mobile and fluid experience. But the biggest portion of that is to allow any establishment to kind of create their adult Disneyland, so to say, so that the, you could go in, start your tab on the patio, you could end up inside, you could end up on a mezzanine, you can end up back outside. And all that time, your uh, party could be flexing as well, because you might start with two people, then you have 10 people join you, and then you might be back down to two people. And systems are not really designed, at least right up to now, um, to be able to handle that kind of dynamics. Uh, typically, the uh, the service model has always been uh, for me to go out uh, and interact with a server and a server puts me at a table and it doesn't make for a very fluid environment, but having been at craft environments, uh, those are very fluid and not just in terms of where you end up at, but also how many uh, people are a part of your party. I didn't realize how handy it was until I used it. I met you at Avery Brewing in Boulder and, and that's when I really... Just it just it was like a light bulb. I'm like, man, this is great. Like, because you're right, at a brewery like that, everybody's kind of moving around. Different people are joining your party and leaving, and you know you can transfer the tab. You can add people. I mean, really handy not only for the consumer but for the waitstaff too, right? I really was like, wow, this is this is this really works. This is good. And I remember trying it that day, and uh, of course I met you there. Oh, I, I know what happened. We so so we came on the podcast. Then COVID had started. Things kind of got shut down temporarily, and then there was this. But then we tried to reopen a little bit, and Avery had just kind of reopened for a short time. It was their first day to reopen, and we were there and experiencing the app. Um, and I, you know, the whole time I'm like, "This is great. I'm this, this is going to continue to take off." Then everything just got shut back down again and COVID got worse. Yeah, what'd you guys do? Talk to me about the whole, like, did you have some of these holy shit meetings? Like, okay, our, our entire customer base that would buy our product just got, just got closed. <laughs> what do we do now? <laughs> well, I think what ended up happening right before um, the massive shutdown in March, uh, we kind of saw what the writing was on the wall. We've had designs um, for a long period of time of doing an e-commerce platform. We were just in the process of rolling out the consumer app. And um, thankfully we had done a lot of that legwork ahead of time uh, 
so that we were ready to just basically pivot because our main concern at that point, um, I know that a lot of businesses went, oh my God, my entire client base is gone. We went down a different track, which was how do we help our clients continue to move product? Um, especially during these uncertain times, the part that you kind of take a look at in regards to the craft industry as a whole, different from the restaurant industry, uh, they have a better shelf life on a lot of their product. And so oftentimes when they're, they're making uh, beer or wine or uh, spirits or uh, cider, you, you can build in bulk and then figure out how to distribute from there. So a lot of them were shifting to growler and crowler type models. Um, and those that already had distribution channels were working through that as well to find other creative avenues to be able to engage their customer base. Because the funny thing is, um, having uh, looked back at prior pandemics, drinking's not going to go away because we all need to <laughs> and get through the day. Um, and a lot when you're sitting at home, that's the really that level of interaction that you are kind of expecting at that point, especially when things are shutting down, you could only go to stores or you could go to a restaurant and pick up. And a lot of the community really wanted to support their local breweries and restaurants and so on. Um, so we kind of shelved all of our plans. Everything we thought we were going to do in 2020, we went, yeah, never mind. That's not going to happen. Um, the number one priority is keeping establishments open. Um, and so we, we switched. Uh, and in two weeks, we launched our first version of our online store with a bunch of alpha sites. Um, and been working on perfecting it. Now we're into version two, which is a lot more visually aesthetic. <laughs> um, and as I said, we were in the middle of going alpha on our consumer app, which will allow you to open a tab and pay and be very contactless. Well, that plan got sh <laughs> um, shafted at that point. And all we did was go, all right, well now put it out there for everybody and we'll just fix bugs as fast as humanly possible. And so uh, the entire dev staff uh, really switched on uh, and did a tremendous job during that point. I mean, they put in some long hours. Right. And then once we finally actually had it built, um, it switched on to our support staff who had long hours of just helping sites do their online menus and get things up and running because everybody had the collective uh, thought, which is if we can even find small ways to help our clients stay in business, then we're going to do that. Um, the numbers really bear it out. Um, since the beginning of the year, I think uh, just under 20 sites closed down permanently. Um, wow. wow. So we had a pretty good success rate. Now, that said, we can't take all the credit. I think uh, uh, the craft owners are great entrepreneurs in their own right. Um, they found ways to be able to flex and be able to survive. Uh, and that's really what they did during this point in time. I don't think anybody thrived or feels that they're they're doing tremendously well, but they're doing enough to weather the storm. Did they did people start using the app to order and then drive up and pick pick product up from is that is that what happened? Okay. Okay. You're right. You know, some isn't it amazing? Some companies aggressively pivoted where they needed to and just kept pushing forward. And other people kind of stuck their head in the sand and said, oh, my God, meteors are hitting the earth and, you know, life is over. It's amazing how people attack that differently. And as I met with business owners over this period and talked to them, it was one or the other, right? They were either like, hey, it is what it is, man. We're charging forward. We're going to pivot. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And we're going to just we're going to keep going, um, you know, and, and others kind of, you know, felt sorry for themselves and, and, and gave up a, a little bit. I felt that a little bit on both sides. I'm glad to know you guys pivoted uh, 
heavily. Did you, did you, so you kept a lot of your customers that you had, except for maybe people that closed permanently, were you able to gain additional clients as you moved along? Yeah. Talk about that. That was pretty astonishing. Um, and I think more humbling than anything else. Uh, we still doubled our client base. What? Um, wow. Okay. Holy cow. Wow. When everybody else in our industry was uh, facing contraction of their client base, we we spun up and uh, by the end of 2020, we had doubled our client base. That said, revenues are way down across the board because a lot of our clients are impacted anywhere between 30 to 70% of their revenues that they were probably doing the year before. Um, I think our business model proves itself out um, because the fact that uh, we do not charge subscription fees and we don't nickel and dime for features, uh, you take a pandemic that becomes a winning scenario because it's kind of a pay-as-you-go uh, model. And if you're transacting at great uh, volumes, then we all win. If you're not, then you don't feel the burden of these subscription fees. And I think that that was a winning scenario for us to be able to uh, continue winning clients during that time too. And what was even more shocking is the fact that there were some several breweries that are uh, brand new that had started during a pandemic. So. There's some uh, really talented entrepreneurs that uh, could still be able to get things open during a pandemic. Um, it's, a, I think, a testament to the industry and also, I guess, us as a society because when things are bleak, I think we all kind of want to have a pint. Love your model, by the way. The fact that you could... So I'm envisioning you talking to a new prospective client and if they're not super busy or whatever and they're slower and they sign up for your product, they, they pay less because there's less users, right? Or whatever, that's how the model works. Is that well, the right? We are, are actually the payment processor. Okay. And because okay. we're the payment processor, and that's part of the benefit of having uh, great payment engineers that came along with me for the ride from Google, <laughs> not everybody gets that same sort of benefit. So we were able to build our own gateway and we, we basically operated um, a couple tiers down the stack in terms of how payments work. Um, so we get to collect uh, that money that would normally go through instead, but that also gives us the flexibility because the U.S. being a market that uh, primarily uses credit card and debit cards, uh, it's a necessary evil to be able to transact. And so what we kind of look at as instead, we cut out a bunch of the middlemen and we actually provide not just the processing, but also the services and the software that should be sitting on top of it too. It fuels our innovation. You know, I hadn't thought about this until we talked, you know, as we're having this conversation. So pitching a new service or product or software to a business owner, especially a craft brewery business owner just pitching that just getting the meeting right to talk about some new software or whatever on a regular day in a normal world is probably pretty hard right pretty hard to get them to pay attention hard to get the meeting hard to get them to just focus for a few minutes on what you're trying to sell them i didn't think about it but maybe this worked to your advantage maybe in some cases they actually had a little bit more downtime than they're used to so if i'm just thinking as a as a brewery owner if I was ever going to make a move on a new piece of software or a service or whatever, or make a change, now might be when I would actually have that conversation and meet with David Norman to look at doing something like that because I have time. Did that play to your advantage or no? Well, they, they meet with the sales staff because they do a far better job promoting <laughs> than I do. 
But the other side of it, uh, it, it is, there was a, a blessing in disguise, so to say. And you don't want to say that because so many people have been in. I know, right, right, right. So understood. But the other side of this, uh, when you have that kind of time, the most difficult thing you can do for your establishment, unless it's a brand new establishment, is replace your point of sale. Um, because you have to retrain staff, you have to input all of your menus and everything else that goes along with that. Um, and so having some time to be able to sit back and having the downtime, that's the time to make a change. Um, yeah. Because you're not going to yeah. do it during the summer or when your busiest times are for your establishment, because that's hugely impactful unless the, the pain points are far too high. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, this this has been a better time to make that change because a lot of people are reevaluating their their processes, their standard operating procedures, and everything else for their tap rooms. And that ties right into what we were saying a minute ago. You know, some business owners took advantage, they pivoted, they're they're just charging, moving forward. I saw other restaurants remodeling during this time. I mean, you know, you just you deal with what's in front of you and you take advantage of what you can and, and, and pivot and maneuver. So I love that. I love the fact that you signed on new customers. Okay, very good. Um, so it's it was a decent 2020 for you then. I, I'm, I'm well. Bigger customer base, but not as much revenue. Is that accurate? That That is accurate. Um, and we went through struggles too. And I think a lot of companies had gone through this. The evaluation of, do you let go of staff? Um, how can you balance this? We I had went into uh, the shutdowns and knowing what was happening to our industry. And there was a lot of risk. And so we kept, every two weeks, we put a marker uh, in the sand, so to say, and reevaluate where we were as a business. But I had... I didn't want to get rid of any staff, especially during a pandemic when healthcare is such a premium at that point as well. So we had to go and entertain alternate models. The uh, executive team went without pay for a period of time to make sure we kept uh, employees. Employees shifted, uh, they had to be reduced for pay, but they also shifted their schedule so that it would be reduced time. So we, we went through and we tried to measure uh, and put some data markers out there as we were trying to figure out how we were going to weather this. If things would have com gone completely the other direction and we would not have launched a product and we would have started seeing a lot more closures um, and that our client base wasn't as resilient um, as they had been, we would have had to do far more drastic things. Thankfully, that's not how it panned out. So, um, so there were a lot of tough discussions. It was, yeah, while it was great from the perspective of we increased our client base, there was a lot of fretting. <laughs> I won't deny that. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure your wife enjoyed the conversation when you came home and said, by the way, I'm not going to get paid for a little bit. <laughs> she said, she's like, wait a minute, I thought we were past that. I thought we were past that phase of startup. <laughs> yeah, but I think the part that she recognized like a lot of every a lot of other people especially within our community of boulder you're watching restaurants close down you're watching staff lose their job and all the other items that go along with it and we know that this was not going to be indefinite so it was a a shared and communal element because everybody else was probably having to do this too so mm -hmm. um, when you recognize that that's the case and we're all trying to do this and get through it together that you're you're realizing that there's a bigger bigger element at play here. How much of your uh, customer base is restaurants versus brewery or, or any so far? Uh, actually we do, and some breweries are breweries slash restaurants. Um, if you take a look at our client base, uh, those who do beer and food are probably sitting somewhere between 10 to 15%. Um, granted that shifted a little bit during COVID. And this is also because 
there was really no consistency in regards to rules and regulations based off of zip code and geographic uh, area. So some places were forced to have to start doing food because the way that licenses or to be open during uh, uh, COVID times required them to be 51% food. So they were probably left scrambling as well. So some of them added food trucks and some of them tried to figure out other directions to go um, so that they could meet the requirement to being open. Interesting. How many, uh, I don't know if you can share this or if you want to, uh, how many clients do you have or, or customers do you have right now? Can you share that information on how many co companies you're servicing or do you want to share that? Uh, I'll give you a general range. Uh, we're, if you take uh, all of our transacting sites and the ones that are in our launch pipeline, we're, we're shy of a thousand. Okay, a thousand, that's fantastic. How many employees today? Uh, we're sitting at a roughly 42 and um, wow. with the hopeful element of what's going on for, well, what we hope to be happening in um, March and April and May, uh, we are going to start ramping up hiring. Yeah, that's great. Congratulations. You've been in business for what, five years, six years. What's it been? Uh, a little over five years. Five years. You made it through COVID. You signed on more customers, still got 40 employees, and you're in and you're and you're servicing one of the hardest hit industries across the country. Congratulations on on staying alive positively and pivoting uh, as you needed to. Really, that's kudos to you and your team. The team has done a fantastic job during this entire time. Um, You've seen, go ahead, yeah. Oh, sorry. You've seen, um, you've probably talked to more people. I bet, I, bet you've, I bet you've experienced some pretty emotional stuff talking to some of these restaurant and bar owners. I mean, these guys, this is a, these, these guys are losing their businesses. I mean, the, the, I mean, I bet it's been some tough personal conversations. It has. Um, yeah, I feel for all the ones that uh, closed down. I, I had a few different conversations um, and not just for them, the ones that are hard hit and just trying to weather it because they feel just as bad, not just in regards to the business, but the staff that they had to let go. Uh, it's when you're trying to balance, it's not just whether or not you can put out product or you can be able to uh, be open at 25%. They have huge concerns out there in regards to rent uh, and leases that they have on buildings and equipment that uh, where the, uh, the loans are coming due. I mean, all of those pieces come into this, which brewery at that point has a little bit different stage than a restaurant because once you have to invest in kettles and tanks and uh, uh, fermenters and all of the uh, ancillary equipment, I mean, there was a lot of loans that had to be taken out for that. And so they've had to make some really hard decisions and choices during that time too, to be able to balance. Um, it, what has happened as a side benefit to it, a lot of them have become far more data-driven than they were before. So they're oh. seeking an awful lot of information and know how effective either, you know, <laughs> uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul type of scenarios are working out for them and where that they can balance. But a lot of them became very creative in terms of building packages or combos and doing limited barrel releases so that they could keep engaged with the community and also keep revenue kind of coming in the door. Um, but yeah, there are very difficult discussions for those that had to lose their business uh, completely. Uh, I did have a couple conversations where uh, it gave me a bit more hope because it was, this is just a temporary setback. When things start to recover, I'll probably reopen somewhere else. And that just shows the true spirit. Mm. 
you know, my wife and I went out to eat um, Monday of last week. So again, for the listeners, we're recording this on January 12, 2021. Um, the rules here, I think it was the week after New Year's. Can't remember the exact date, but the governor like allowed allowed restaurants to open up again at 20 years, 25 percent capacity. I can't remember exactly, something like that. But they very limited opening. And uh, my wife and I went out to eat. And um, interesting thing that I noticed was uh, they just weren't ready. Like the restaurant wasn't, they just weren't ready. It was almost like a, uh, a football team that hadn't practiced together in about six months and they're out there trying to run plays and it just wasn't smooth. <laughs> and I, and as a business operator, I was watching all of it, right? Everything from tumbling around and the food not quite being right and then not the right side. I thought, like, oh man, it's like, God, these guys have been through so much to keep their business open and alive. And here they are. Now they're trying to like scramble and kind of like kind of reopen and they're not ready and they don't have the right food and the waste staff's confused. I was like, ah, I just felt, I felt bad for them. <laughs> well, I think the challenges that have been really huge during this entire 10 month <laughs> window, uh, change has uh, been perpetual and uh, change has been instantaneous in some cases. And so you do feel for it because uh, the rules that you walk in and you think that you have on your engagement when you come in and start your start op the opening procedure for your business, be it at eight o'clock or seven o'clock or six o'clock, uh, changes by the next day. And the rules may be less or more or things completely shut down or you have to, it, it, what it's really done is emphasize the need to have a very fluid, um, not just in regards to your own practices, technology to support that too, because there's an awful lot that goes into um, making plans. And when they shift on a dime, uh, you find out that you don't have the right platforms to be able to support you in a lot of this either. I haven't thought about chain restaurants too much, but can you imagine being like the I don't know, like the district manager for like Applebee's or something. And so you've got, you know, in this state over here and this county is you got this, these rules and these hours and these, and then over here you got this, and then you got this client customer base that likes it. I mean, you're, you're trying to maneuver through all these different rules and, and set of processes. Boy, well, I, uh, and I think that, so it's not just the rules and processes because it depends on what comes down from corporate at that point. Um, yeah. I think the yeah. part that's an added fact for them, uh, the small businesses, uh, yeah, the, they'll take the brunt of it. They'll figure it out. They'll adapt. They have control over what they can be able to control. If you're at a chain, uh, it's, I feel for those people, as well as the staff that they've had to let go or anything else that has to do with that, because of the fact that it could change on a dime and they say, you know what, we're going to shut down that one. And in fact, that news came out several times right. during the pandemic. It was like, well, we're going to shut down another 100, 200 sites. And as if you're a general manager there, what do you do? I mean, I, that was the end of it. Yeah, and you know, um, yeah, we can talk about, there's so many people affected. I just really feel, emo I, have a, I just emotionally, I really feel for them. I mean, I think about, there's a couple of uh, bars that I frequent on a regular basis. And, uh, and in some cases, blue collar bars where maybe, maybe the bartender's making, I don't know, maybe the bartender's pulling down 50, 60, 70 a year. But I, there's a couple of places I frequent, 
some nice restaurants where I know those bartenders are pulling down, uh, pulling down over a hundred grand a year and they've been there for years. Right. And uh, I'm just like, man, what are these guys doing? Like, where are they? What are they doing for a living? I don't know. I, I... Well, I think, well, it's not just them. I think about uh, the musicians as well that oftentimes yes. the live entertainment. Um, I think they've been extraordinarily hard hit because they can't be out in public and playing. Uh, <laughs> And you're not really going to have an audience. And when you, especially if you're part of the tip economy, I'd take New Orleans as a great example. I mean, that's, mm. that's a gig and tip economy as well. And so you have a bunch of people that are sitting there uh, not able to make a livelihood. So some of them are shifting and deciding to pick up new careers and other ones are just trying to wait it out. Uh, right. It depends on, I guess, really how that's going to look. I think the thing that was also interesting during this time, uh, some places that could reinvest their staff into other places. So they went into uh, doing online ordering and curbside and uh, pickup uh, pretty quickly. And then they could shrink at least some of the staff down to be able to uh, address that. Some of them turned their staff into delivery drivers and they were more than happy to be able to do some of that uh, because the fact that that kept income coming into a typical gig economy. Um, I think the part that we're, we're gonna see where this ends up like the DoorDashes and the Uber Eats and so on, because before that was a necessary evil, then it became far more prominent during uh, COVID because you can only do things in terms of delivering food, but the margins that they get on these places that were already operating under thin margins anyways, right. um, it was just eating away at all of that. And I see the establishments had a reason to do it because they had the eyeballs, they had the users to be able to uh, interact with, but most of them would love to have their own platform that wasn't taking anywhere between 15 to 30% off of every order that's going through the place. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out in 2021 when things start to return to normal. Um, who's going to fill that void? Because none of them are going to want to continue uh, paying what they're having to pay today. Um, so that's why some of them can, to bring this back full circle, this is why a lot of them decided to shift their staff to being their own delivery drivers so that they didn't have to pay those margins on those platforms. You're in Boulder and uh, you're in Colorado, which is a pretty locked down area. I'm guessing you and your staff haven't been in the city. Are you guys working all remotely? Are you 100% remote? What's the status at your company? Uh, well, our hardware team, <laughs> since they just keep plugging along, they have to be on site to continue processing gotcha. hardware to send out to new uh, locations. Um, our support staff kind of has an alternate uh, schedule where some of them come in uh, during courses of the week. We try to set up so that uh, we could facilitate some people um, in the office. It de really depends on the scenario that they're kind of dealing with. Some of us do far better at home than others. Uh, some of us like going to the office because you see a beginning and an end to the day. So, because <laughs> right. that's the hardest part about the remote learning, or not the remote, the uh, the remote uh, working portion of this, which is uh, you can get up in the morning before the uh, sun comes up, and then you're going to bed after the sun goes down because you didn't realize how much time really elapsed. Right. Um, and while being an employer, that uh, you like to see the productivity. You also want people to have a life too. So we've tried to do things inside of our own company to hopefully set some boundaries so that people will disconnect by the end of the day. Um, there's also other challenges that go into it that people like to get away from because they alternate with their spouse in regards to uh, 
having to deal with remote learning for their kids. Um, and sometimes you need a little bit of a break from your kids. So we do want to have the office open for those pieces as well. Um, so any point in time, given our, we have a staff of 44, we probably have, you know, five, five to eight of us that are in the office at any given time. No plans to go fully remote then and get rid of that lease that you're paying for on the office space. Uh, I, I would be lying if I didn't think about it in the early days, but uh, <laughs> I believe in the power of collaboration. I do believe that what's going to happen um, when we finally do get to the other side of a lot of this, there will be a shift um, in my thinking as well that we don't have to be 100% in person and we will try to set certain days and we hope that people will be in the office. Um, we do want there's still nothing that replaces in-person collaboration. Sometimes when you're just trying to uh, problem solve, it's great to jump on Zoom, it's great to jump on Google Meet, but it's not the same as going and sitting in front of a whiteboard and mapping out something, because there's just not great technology for that. And when you have five people in a room, you can see that somebody's going to start talking, unless you start using the raising the hand or so on. We've all been on Zoom calls where sometimes it devolves into a little bit of chaos. Yeah. And you get, a, you get around some of that by being in person. I, uh, I think I, I tend to agree with you. I, if I had to, you know, if I was in Vegas and you're asking me to put a bet down on how I think it'll end up on remote work, I, I, I generally think it'll end up being some kind of a hybrid model. I think a lot of companies will end up going into a situation where, hey, on, on Tuesdays and Thursdays we meet or on Wednesdays we all come to the office or whatever. There's going to be I think there's going to be some hybrid models in some cases and some also some volunteer. You can come if you want. You don't have to. But on these days, we like to have meetings. So please show up. I, I generally think it will end up like that in a lot of cases. Um, and speaking as, a, as an entrepreneur that has built RiderFlex, our recruiting firm, you know, in our fifth year now, we've been 100% remote from the beginning. So way before COVID, we all work remotely. And I can even tell you, even myself, you know, sometimes I just kind of wish I was in the office with Scott or Kelly or Brianna and, you know, just it's faster communication or just the camaraderie of it. And like you said, sometimes just getting out of the house because whatever, you know, I'm here all day long getting on my wife's nerves or whatever. <laughs> and so I think, I think there'll be a hybrid model, generally something like that. We will see, and this is the interesting portion, we'll have to wait to see how it plays out. Um, I think it has adjusted a lot of firms' uh, notions of the rapid expansion and buy a whole bunch of uh, office space. If you head to this type of model, whatever you're in now, unless you really need to downsize, I know I'm looking at it going, I don't know that we're going to need to expand the office anytime soon. We just expand or figure out uh, different ways that we'll do remote. So we don't, what originally started last year thinking like if we expand to 60 to 100 people in the company that we would have to get another building. I'm now not at that point being, well, we'll use the building we have and we'll figure out convenient and uh, interesting ways around this challenge. I wouldn't, I don't want to piss off my real estate friends, but I just, I wouldn't want to be in commercial real estate right now. I don't think. <laughs> well, I think that there is a portion that's pretty scary in regards to that, because I know as I drive from my office to, to home, um, I pass an awful lot of buildings that are empty. Um, Big time. Big time. <laughs> there's going to be opportunities for people to come in where, as we continue to look at different ways that we'll be doing manufacturing, my hope is, is that some of those will um, be taken up again. But um, there is a bit of, of concern um, 
you, you would think that when you see that many buildings uh, empty, that that also means that there's that there's not going to be those jobs um, as well. I just think it's going to pivot um, how the jobs will be for at least the remote workers. The gig workers are going to it's going to be you're going to have to have office space, and some of them will just turn into uh, different style businesses. But there is a concern. Or or living quarters. I, do, you, do you foresee a future where some of these skyp skyscrapers are transformed into apartment buildings and living quarters versus office, offices and cubicles? What do you think? I think there's a huge opportunity there. Yeah. For the right person. I'm, I'm not a person who likes to put my money in real estate, not to tick off anybody in real estate. <laughs> I, I have chosen my path. I have built a company uh, <laughs> instead of uh, going down the real estate path to find uh, where I'm going to invest my money. But uh, for those people who are doing it, um, yeah, there's great, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And especially yeah. as we're dealing with societal housing issues anyways. So there's gonna be an opportunistic uh, yeah. person that's gonna come along to figure that out. Agreed. You know, one of the things this whole pandemic has done for me, David, is, and, and I don't wanna like, I don't want the listeners to think I'm like taking sides on anything here, whether you COVID, you know, you believe in the shot, you believe in mask, whatever. I'm not talking about any sides on anything, but what I do want to confess is like, damn, I just miss hanging out with my friends. I mean, I just miss getting together with people. I miss the social aspect of happy hour and restaurants. And I miss being able to walk up to my friend and giving, give him a hug without feeling weird or wondering if he's feeling weird. I miss reaching my hand out to immediately shake hands with a buddy of mine without being nervous about whether or not he's going to be mad because I shook his hand. Like, I just miss all of that. I think, you know, this is really, and I was really affected by it even more between Thanksgiving and Christmas because everything was really locked down in Colorado and, and, and you know, then people were also being careful. And so I'm just here with my wife and our kids are grown. So we don't have any kids at home. I'm just like, damn i just this sucks i miss getting together with people i don't know how you've been um i think that there's a realm now regardless of what side of the fence that you're on of optimism um and it's optimism because we can kind of see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel um, yeah. regardless yeah. of what side um, vaccinations look like here but i think the other at least for the service and hospitality space the reason for uh a level of optimism is uh, the vast majority of people I've talked to cannot wait to be served by another person. <laughs> They're so tired of uh, making their own meals and uh, they too would like to be able to socialize. The, uh, some of the people I talk to cannot wait to go out to a brewery for the first time and go hang out with their friends. Um, yes. And really that's what they're looking forward to. And what causes then the level of optimism and it's not just me that feels this way. There's a lot of other uh, very <laughs> far more knowledgeable people than I are very, uh, far more prominent in the industry that believes that we could be heading into kind of a roaring 20s type of scenario because we're all just, we've been so cooped up for so long yes. um, that everybody is just looking forward to getting out and which will become self-sustaining over a period of time too because then that means the jobs are coming back and the places are back to uh, capacity. And so I think the part, the, <laughs> the bigger part to guard against is that places are gonna be overwhelmed uh, with, with people wanting to go out and that we're all gonna have to have a level of patience on the other side of this, which is, and you brought this up earlier beautifully, we're 
we're all going to have to remember that these businesses are going to have to figure it all out again. They're, they have been practicing, <laughs> so they don't know what this looks like. You're absolutely right. Uh, and I know there are some people listening to this podcast and, and they have a mindset of, hey, when things do open up, I'm, they're still going to be like super careful and super cautious. And that's cool. If you're, if that's, you know, you're what you want to do. I'm not slamming that thought process. I just know that I'm going to be on the opposite end. I'm going to be like the first guy in line to get into the tavern. <laughs> uh, well, I think what you bring up highlights one of the points, and uh, this doesn't really matter which um, side of the aisle that you're really on, because we weren't very consistent. Um, establishments didn't have a good set of rules to kind of go for, and it was pretty challenging for them too in regards to this, because it wasn't just that things changed on a daily basis based off of whatever the guidance was going to be. It was that the guidance wasn't consistent within even maybe your own zip code. Um, and so it was very difficult that a lot of the sites were setting up their own rules to get through this. And I think that they're gonna be hugely appreciative of the fact that when we're finally on the other side of this, the rule, they won't have to pay nearly the same level of attention because it's, it's not gonna to have to deal with inconsistent rules. And the consumer is going to find it very handy not to have to walk into an establishment and go, okay, what are the rules here? Because I know it's different every time I go yeah. somewhere. <laughs> it was just it's challenging all across the board. Um, it, so I know that everybody's looking forward to getting to the other side of this. I will also say this. Uh, I appreciate all the companies that are trying to uh, establish businesses around doing things remote and all these different tools like Zoom and conferencing. And like you said, all these different little things that are being added on Zoom and video conference, raise your hand, split off into groups and all those other things. And I, I, I admire all these companies that are quickly investing in that to like be able to do all this remotely. And I, I've seen a lot of posts where people are like, oh, we got together, look at our group. We got together for, for a, a Zoom, for a virtual happy hour. I just want to go on record right now and just say this on this podcast virtual happy hours suck like i don't care <laughs> I, I don't I, just, I don't care how fancy the software you're using is if i'm sitting behind my computer screen at home trying to have a drink it, it is not the same as it is in person it's just not i, I think they suck that's what well, I'm <laughs> thankfully uh, well, hopefully that's coming to an end, but the nice part of what happened, especially in the early days and there was so much uncertainty, it provided a medium for us all to get together and commiserate. Um, yeah. And I think that that, because it's a, a core human trait, um, helped facilitate that. So we got through it a little bit better. I think it would have gotten a lot worse had uh, we didn't have the technology to be able to I, get together. I, I totally agree. It was handy. I'm trying to get my, my focus to come back on my face. You know how, see, we're talking, I'm complaining about Zoom. Here it is. I can't even get my auto Zoom to. Well, to because work. you didn't come up with a really, you know, flashy background. Right? I know. Um, trying to get my auto focus to come back. I see, complaining about video conference. Um, <laughs> what the other thing I was going to say was um, solitary confinement in prison. That's the worst thing they can do to you. You know why? Because we, we're social creatures. We want to be around each other. <laughs> right. And we will find the most, uh, we will find the smallest way to be able to communicate with each other, even if it's through taps or anything else. We will figure out a way to do it. Um, 
And so, yeah, being completely isolated and by yourself is just, it's an unnatural state. I totally, totally agree. Um, totally agree. That's funny. I just hit pause on the recording. I was trying to get my damn focus to come into play. The video conferencing. See, I, you know, I've been a Zoom fan. We were using Zoom like before COVID. So I'm a Zoom guy, but sometimes it's just better to be in person, David. Damn it. That's what we were talking about. <laughs> well, it's kind of hard because I've always been a Google person. I will probably bleed the colors till the end of days. And so I have always used Google Meet. Um, I've used it to facilitate remote teams across the globe. Gotcha. Um, and so very accustomed to it, but even then, I still got on a plane and I still met with people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, that's it. We didn't even talk about that. Scott and I, so at our recruiting firm, and we were also super blessed. We were actually up this up in 2020 over 2019, so we feel super blessed about that. But I will tell you that I, I do think generally it's a lot harder to close a contract. Uh, you know, over Zoom than it is in person over dinner or drinks. I mean, it's just harder. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. So I'll be, I'm looking forward to those business uh, meetings as well. So um, anyway, congratulations on the fact that you guys are, are pushing forward and sounds like business is good. Um, you did all the right things to end up having a very productive year. I'm happy for it. Well, and I think I said this in in our last podcast, everything that we do is about a calculated risk. Thankfully, we took the right calculated risks this time. And I only hope that a lot of other people did too. By the way, for the listeners, it's arrived.com, but it's a Y instead of an I, in case you don't know. So A-R-R-Y-V-E-D.com, arrived.com. You can also look up David Norman on LinkedIn. I'm sure he wants a bunch more followers there as well. Thank you so much for being on the podcast again. Thank you very much for the invite. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button. The RiderFlex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviewing. You can visit RiderFlex.com to learn more about us and get information and pricing on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.